Well, hello everyone, Cliff Ravenscraft here. This is episode number 134 of Encouraging Others Through Christ, and I am recording it almost one year after my most recent episode, episode 133. One of the things that I had decided about this podcast is I would only record a new episode if I felt led in my heart to do so. And, well, recently I felt led in my heart to do just that. In fact, this episode is another conversation with my great friend Wayne Jacobson. You can find Wayne and all of his uh, writings and books and other materials that you can find over there at lifestream.org. Anyway, today we're going to be talking about the Bible. Is it the Word of God? Is it the infallible Word of God? Is it the rule book of our lives? Is it something that we as Christians should read every single day if we're to believe that we have a great relationship with God? Those kind of things. About five days ago, I wrote Wayne an email and said, hey, you know, I want to talk to you about some thoughts that I've been having related to the Bible. I find myself kind of drawn back to it. However, at the same time, I turn to it and oftentimes I feel Uh, that my feelings about the Bible are kind of still stuck in the mire of my old mindset, you know, such as, you know, well, there's just questions that I have. And I shared with him what a lot of those questions were. And, well, I invited him to have a conversation with me on the podcast to see if he wanted to talk about these things. And, of course, he jumped at the opportunity, and I am so thankful for that. And what you are about to hear is the conversation that I just had with Wayne Jacobson about the Bible. And uh, I don't think I need to say anything more than that, so we're just going to jump right into that conversation right here and right now. So, uh, yeah, I sent you that email. And uh, first of all, just what's your initial reaction to the email I sent? Oh, it's uh, I hear it a lot. I hear a lot from people who are in that same space of I, I used to, and then it got really rotten for me, and now I'm trying again, and I'm still not connecting. And and so, yeah, I think we've used it, we've used scripture to beat people over the head so much that that's often what people hear when they read it. Yeah, for me, I remember, gosh, right before I found your book, uh, I remember getting to the place where I started to question whether or not. I was even, you know, had a relationship with God. And a friend of mine, and I know you and I have talked about him, David Foster, he's since passed away. Uh, but he said, he did a podcast on his show called A Renegade's God Guide to God. And I'll never forget the day that it just really lit something up inside of me as far as, as what he said. He says, a lot of people think that they have a relationship with God, but they don't. Instead, what they have is a relationship with one of three things. And and he and I'll see if I can remember what one of those three things are. One is they're in love with a moral code of conduct. Yep. Number two, they're in love with an institution. And number th- or or number three is oh gosh, what was the third one? An institution or or inf- they're they're in love with information about God. Hmm. And, and so, and, and a lot of people equate either one of those three things or all three of those things as having a relationship with God. And I'm like, you know what? I believe back in December of 1996, when I consider that time in the evangelical language of getting saved or whatever, I, I recall back then feeling like I had a relationship and that over time, and it, it would have been over the course of maybe a year, maybe even three to four or five years even, I remember some subtle shift now that he said those words, looking back in hindsight, that I traded in my relationship with God for a relationship with the institution, for a relationship with knowledge about God and relationship a relationship with a moral code of conduct, meaning that I felt like my standing in my relationship with God was dependent upon one of those three things. Does that make sense? 
Yeah, no, I think that's often true. And I and I agree like you. Most people don't get saved because they want a relationship with a moral code or they want a relationship with an institution. God moves on our heart and we get invited into that space and then somehow it gets switched on us. It did for me too at an early age. I got switched with performing well, the, the Christian, not just ethics, but rituals and, and rules and following them and feeling good when I did them well and horrible when I did them poorly, which says I was having a relationship with those things rather than him. Exactly. And, and so one of the things that really lightened the load for me was when I started to hear this language of living loved, you know, obviously coming from you and your book, So You Don't Want to Go to Church Anymore, uh, hearing this from my friend David Foster, who wrote uh, A Renegade's Guide to God, and also reading a fiction book called Redeeming Love by Francine Rivers. Hmm. And so I'm, I'm hearing this language. And then after, you know, reading your book, I discover your podcast. And then right at that time, you released The Jesus Lens. And The Jesus Lens was a major eye-opener for me because in my history of doing ministry and, and you know, pursuing pastor, you know, a pastorship and stuff like that, I got to the place where, you know, it's all about how many scriptures can you memorize? And and boy, I felt like I had badges I could put on my sleeves <laughs> yep. about how many of those things I could memorize more than other people. And and I, I remember having times when I was leading Bible study groups and we would have tight, we even have accountability groups. And we would talk about how, how many hours have you prayed today and, you know, and, and how often are you reading God's word? And if, you know, it's like, well, the prob- the reason why you're probably experiencing all of these trials is because you're not in God's word enough. And I remember that being ingrained in me. And I remember saying those things and laying that guilt on other people. <laughs> yep. And I will tell you that I believe even today, right now, with all of my heart, that I have experienced God in a powerful way through scriptures, even back then. And in a life-transforming way, there were times that that what I read in the scriptures or in the Bible just lit up off the page and it was the it was living and active and it was sharper than any double-edged sword. And it was cutting me to the core and and not in a condemning way but in a way that inspired me i felt the the presence of the holy spirit using those words to to change my life and to to change who i was some of it you know you know tied to the interpretations that i got from a lot of other people but there was uh, there were times when i just really felt god and and his communication to me through the word and and that's the that's the language that I would use. So when we got when I watched the Jesus lens, actually I listened to all the the episodes of the Jesus lens. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that you started to talk about is the fact that we believe sometimes that there's the Old Testament God, and then somewhere between the Old Testament and New Testament, he's changed, or maybe there's you know there or he hasn't changed, and maybe Jesus is a uh, a more kid friendly. <laughs> Uh, version of God. Um, Can you, for those who haven't been through the Jesus lens, can you say a little bit about that? Yeah, I, I, I think it starts with our misunderstanding of what the scriptures are. Even, even by calling them the word of God, I got the idea growing up that God dictated these. And if God dictated these and every word of it is supposed to be exactly the way God wanted it, then you're going to come out with this schizophrenic view of God. There's an Old Testament view, and it's not that there isn't wonderful things about love in the Old Testament, because there is, but the greater things are this fearful, judgmental, bash my enemies and crush them against the rocks kind of God, and even wanting to do that to his son, Then you get to the New Testament, and is there fearful things that happen in the New Testament? There are, but there's much more of a focus on God being accessible and tender and loving. And if we look at it as being dictated by God, then we've got this conundrum of which which is he, terrifying God or Abba Father? And when you have that, that you end up, particularly in religious constructs, by, well, it depends on me. So if I perform well, I get a loving God. If I perform badly, then I get this judging God. And people grow up with that conflict and 
guilt and pressure on themselves. And particularly, the kind of God we need at our worst is the tender, affectionate Father. We, we don't need, okay, I'm doing poorly, so I need a God to come bash me upside the head, so I'll try harder. But that's the way religion has often interpreted it. And I've taken a different view of Scripture. I look at Scripture, is it inspired by God? Yes, it is. I'm fully orthodox on the Scriptures being the inspired revelation of God, but it comes through the lives of various people through history. So it's a story more than it's a rule book. And for me, that changes everything because the story has a has a movement in it. The story moves, what, what we call a re- revelational flow. It moves from God creating and giving us all this wonderful stuff, man falling, and now suddenly God becomes not the the delightful presence that walks with them in the garden. He becomes this angry, terrifying God. And I think what we're seeing through that is not how God is but how Adam and Eve saw him through the grid of their shame, how Moses saw him through the grid of his shame, how David sees through that. And we're getting their honest reflections of who God is, and God's beginning to reveal himself to them. But it's a, it's a long process for God to win us into the space that he's exactly who Jesus was when he was here. And I think many of us got, I did, I got that wrong for a long time. I, when I was growing up in Sunday school, I was endeared to Jesus. This guy jumps in front of an angry God to rescue me. So I'm all good with him. Yeah. But getting into a throne room with God, man, that was just scary. And I only wanted to be there if, if I was hiding behind Jesus's robes, because that's the only way God was safe. That's how I learned it. And so when you read the Bible like that, it beats you up. It's as almost schizophrenic. You know, sometimes God's really nice and loving, and sometimes he's this a, a, you know, drunken father that comes home to beat the family. And people grow up in that schizophrenic view of a, a, a sometimes abusive God, sometimes affectionate God. I think what Jesus came to show us, and the Jesus lens, what it's all about is interpreting all of the Scripture through the person of Jesus. Jesus is the Word of God. That, that's what Scripture calls Him. Yep. So when we decided we were going to follow the Word of God, and that meant we're going to follow academic interpretations of Scripture, we got lost. When we decide that the Word of God is, is living and active, it's Jesus in us, and following Him is the way we find life in Him, then the Scriptures become, I think, one of the best tools we have to sort out who God is. If we read it as a story and see uh, not God's growing up in the story, our view of God is growing up in the story so that we come to see him exactly like Jesus was, loving, kind, tender, rescuing us from the bondage of sin and leading us to life. I love that. That is a perfect overview of the Jesus lens. If if somebody wants to go and listen, what is it, like seven or ten, like, uh, different sessions that you did and it's online somewhere right yeah it's like 24 different sessions but some are seven eight minutes some are 15 20 it's about nine hours of of viewing or listening it's amazing and i and if anybody's interested in this topic i encourage you even to stop here and then come back right to this moment after you've done it where can they find that online i know you have a url for it yeah, livestream.org or jesuslens.com. I think it's the Jesus Lens, but livestream.org, it's, there's a button right on the top of the front page to take you right to it. And it's either in video or audio, and best yet, it's free. Yeah, it, and, and I tell you, it was powerful for me because it freed me from the, the, the performance trap of depending on how I felt about my relationship or actually depending upon how God felt about me, um, having that be dependent upon how devoted I am to reading the Bible every day or seeking him out in wisdom every single day through this, through these words. And, and one of the things that you had said is if, if in, in that series is that for many people who are on this, at the beginning of their journey of living love, you've had scripture used as a tool to, uh, beat you into submission, if you will. I, I don't know if those are your words, but I think you get the point. Oh, I do. And yeah. go ahead. No, that's fine. If it's the rule book, and here's and and we always do that. Just like you said earlier about memorizing scriptures, we take everything out of context. We take one little sentence from Isaiah somewhere, and we then we make a rule based on that. Or here's what we're supposed to do, completely out of context with where it fits in the story, where it fits in Isaiah, 
what it is that God's really asking us to do. And we fill our lives with, one, on the one hand, promises. We used to have a little promise box where you pull out a scripture and you claim this promise from scripture. And we never had the rule book box, but somehow we got that in Sunday school. You know, here's all the things you're supposed to do. You can't do that. You can't hate your brother because that's the same as killing him. And we go, oh my gosh, see, I, I'm just happy I'm not killing my brother growing up and now I can't hate him and that's that just makes it all the tougher. And it just seems like if you're going to use scripture as a rule book, there's not a day goes by you can't beat yourself up with it. Yeah, and and that's what I found is that I would get into even the New Testament, not even going into the Old Testament, but even in the New Testament and especially the 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 gospels or not the gospels but outside of the gospels the uh, the, the letters the, the epistles, epistles. Yeah. and so i'm i'm sitting there reading paul and paul seems like man he's he's raining down the the stuff the rules are there you know it's like listen do this don't do that and i'm telling you if you this and and you know james is like you know i'm telling you if you don't show me some good deeds then or works and you have no faith i mean Gosh, where is this stuff coming from? And one of the things that you had said is that if that's the approach when you're reading the scriptures, maybe have the freedom to take some time off and however long that needs to be for you, but take some time off from feeling obligated to reading the scriptures or the Bible. And and when you feel like it's time for you to come back, perhaps maybe one suggestion that I might give you is is start with the Gospels only, and and specifically the spots where it talks about the life of Jesus and how he interacted with other people and the way that he reveals the Father to us. And, and then when you are ready to expand beyond that, then look at other scriptures. And if anytime you read a scripture from somewhere else in the Bible, if that all of a sudden doesn't reveal to you the same loving father that Jesus revealed to us, then we need to find out how this is being interpreted because it is the same God that Jesus revealed. It's just there's something that we're missing. Yeah, that's often true, yeah. So so what happened was I took that freedom to to not read the word of God and or see how I still say the scriptures. The scriptures, see, it's still in my head. It's ingrained in us, absolutely. So it, the deal is, is I stopped reading it, and I'm like, wow. And all of a sudden, I am living loved, and I am experiencing this, and it's incredible. And, and this journey that I've been on over the last five years has just been out of this world when when it comes to the relationships that I've had with other believers, and, and it, it, I'm experiencing more of what I've seen the Bible talk about in the good and wholesome things that that is living according to what God would desire. I've experienced that more in the last five years than I ever had in any of the things that happened before that. And when I went back to start reading the scriptures, I found that I still have in my head a lot of sermons that are associated with certain you know, phrases, uh, catch scriptures that people use to to uh, share whatever their opinion is, especially when it comes to performance-based things. And so I was still struggling with that. And one of the things that I've just noticed is that, you know what, I don't read the Bible hardly at all anymore. And I don't feel like I'm any less connected to God. In fact, I feel like I'm more connected to God over the last five years where I've rarely read the Bible um, than I was in the, let's just say, 15 or 18 years before that when I would have times when I would read the Bible once or twice a year. And my question to you in that email was, is is it weird to actually not, to, to say that I'm in love with God, but I, I feel like I ought to be, and there's that word, I ought to be in love with reading the scriptures. And and what I found is that I'm I'm ready to to jump back in. I'm ready to sit down and, and to see what new insights and and wisdom and what the Holy Spirit might want to speak to me through this inspired text. But I will tell you, I've become a little bit more cynical lately. And and the reason why is because I I start to question things like, you know, so I already question the the performance-based, you know, preaching and teaching of, of many of the the congregational gatherings that I've been a part of over the years. 
And when I, when I think about this local institution that some people call the local church, I think about those things. They're ran, they're, they're organizations and institutions writ, uh, that are led by human men who are, in, who are fallible, that, that make mistakes and don't always have the best judgment, even if their intentions are right. And when I think about the Bible, all of a sudden I have questions. It's like, who decided that the Bible is, quote unquote, the word of God? Because when I, when I read, I think it's First John, or not First John, when I read John, it's, you know, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God, and he was with God in the beginning. That, that is Jesus. Jesus, as you said earlier, is yep. the word of God, not the Bible, so I don't know. First, the first thing is, is in my mind, when did the Bible, the and specifically in the 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 Christian world I live in, the sixty six books of the Bible, um, when did that thing become the Word of God? So that's the first question I have. Okay, and I, you probably have to talk to a church historian to kind of actually say when, but toward the end of the third and fourth centuries, when they were trying to pull the canon together, and they were fighting a number of heresies that were going on in what they considered to be heresies in various movements about the nature of God or the Trinity or whatever, it became real important, seemingly, to to codify what books seemed to be inspired and what didn't. And there was a lot. It, it, it wasn't done in a, in a meeting. Let's, let's have a meeting one weekend and figure that out. It was over a hundred of years of who would accept certain books, who didn't accept other books, who might have wrote it, who didn't write it. It was finally codified somewhere in the, in the, at the, toward the middle of the third century or fourth century, I well, think. But can, can I read to you what I found on Wikipedia? Just two little things here. Sure. It says, uh, Pope, uh, let's see here, Pope Damasus, uh, the first assembled the first list of books of the Bible at the Council of Rome in 382. He commissioned St. Jerome to produce a reliable and consistent text by translating the original Greek and Hebrew texts into Latin. This translation became known as the Latin Vulgate Bible. In 1546, quite a bit later, <laughs> yeah, a little bit, uh, the Council of Trent, uh, this Latin at the Council of Trent, the Latin Vulgate was declared by the Roman Catholic Church to be the only authentic and official Bible in the Latin Church. So that's the the little bit of history that that I looked up. Yeah, it's been an ongoing conversation, and the Catholics have a little different Bible than the Protestants do. They have a few extra books that we we don't recognize as canonical. So, you know, there, there's been differences about it. It's been a long conversation. For me, I've been on a 50-year love adventure with the Scriptures. The reason I did Jesus Lens is because I saw a lot of people going on a more relational journey, finding the Bible irrelevant to that journey or destructive to that journey and, you know, tossing it off for a few years and then tossing it off permanently and as if the Bible didn't have anything to offer us that was valuable. And so part of the reason to do the Jesus lens, because I find the Bible to be hands down the most incredible tool to live this journey. Now, that what I would include above that and what Jesus said he would give us to lead us into all truth wasn't a book, it was his spirit. So I, I appreciate that God lives in us, makes his word and light known in us, and we get to follow that. What most informs me of the difference between, you know, Wayne having too much pizza or Wayne wanting to make something God's will that isn't God's will uh, is the constant investigation of scripture that my life undergoes. I read stuff and go, man, am I living somewhere in the orbit of this? Because I see scripture, again, those passages you mentioned from Paul where he gets down to don't be angry, don't let the sun go down in your wrath, don't tell lies, and it gets to the end of Ephesians or the end of Colossians, and there's a whole list of do's and don'ts. And our, our teaching in religious structures seems to always be about behavior. It's a behavioral conformity model, so we want people to live like good Christians, so we're really nuts on getting the rules straight. We forget that before Paul gets to the end of Colossians or gets to the end of Ephesians, he's spent three chapters describing who God is and what he come to do in you. And we who were enemies of God have been invited in by grace through faith to the connection that we have with him. So that when he finally gets to talking about, you know, put this on and put this off, and Colossians, I love the way he starts, it's therefore, as God's children, holy and dearly loved, put off this and put on this. So what he's not doing is going, okay, 
So now you're a Christian. You got to do this stuff. What he's saying is, as you live loved by the Father, these are the things you can recognize that draw you out of that space. Here are the ways of living that draw you into that space. You're not capable of changing your own life. Only he can take shape in you by his work. But what it does, it allows me to say, oh, man, see, this is when I got angry or said that gossip the other day. It's not, oh, I've been caught, condemned. Wow, I violated the scripture. It's like, okay, God, what in me felt rewarded to treat somebody that way when you're inviting me to a different way of living and I want to learn how to live over here? So what in me does that? Or what do I not know about you that, I fill up that empty space by gossiping about someone instead of how do I live in the increasing freedom of who you made me to be in the world. And so I read all those passages, not as rules for living, but as, as, one of the things we do in the Jesus lens, we talk about this elliptical playground where God's life reigns in us, where we're, where we're living in sync with who he is and what he wants to do in us. And I don't think any of us live there perfectly. I, I love the, the journey of my life saying, okay, here's where I seem to be enjoying God's freedom in a neat way. Over here, not so much yet. God, I'm still looking to invite you into that space because I, I want that to change too. But I look at God as the one who changes me. And I look at those descriptions of that, the fruits of the Spirit as, boy, that's the playground I want to live in, not here's the standard I have to live by. And I think that's what religion did to the Bible that made it so discomforting to people. Yeah. And you said that, you know, you don't see it as a rule book, but one of the things that, I, that just has been hammered in my head is 2 Timothy 3.6. And, it, and, and it's where I think Paul wrote to Timothy, and, yep. and he wrote all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and for instruction in righteousness. And it sounds to me like, listen, all you know, all of these things. And and then, you know, coming from it from this perspective, it's like, wait a second. When he says all Scripture is inspired by God and is can be used for correction and reproof, obviously those are the things that I I, I laser focus on. He's not even referring to the letter he's writing right now because he's writing it as a letter. It's not he's not writing it as scripture in my mind. He he's he's referring to what was referred to as the scriptures before the New Testament. Exactly. He's referring to the Old Testament. Yeah. And and so okay, so and and that's the thing. It's like okay, it, I I got a couple other quotes that I pulled off of the Wikipedia just before we started, and it says so, here. So you read Wikipedia more than you read the Bible. Is that what you're saying, Cliff? <laughs> That's exactly. <laughs> I'm, I'm such a heretic. <laughs> uh, so anyway, some Christians believe that the Bible is in, is the inspired word of God. That God through the Holy Spirit intervened and influenced the words, message, and even the collation collation or collation of the Bible. And then, I love this one, and this is certainly what I've heard all my life. For many Christians, the Bible is also infallible and incapable of error in matters of faith and practice. And those two things, when I think about, well, first of all, okay, I, I'm, I'm open, and I honestly, I, I have had such an experience reading the Bible that I do believe it was inspired by God, that, that God through the Holy Spirit did inspire people to write just like God through the Holy Spirit has in, has, it has inspired us to have this conversation to encourage one another. I believe that God is working in man to inspire these things. Sure. So I, I, I see value in the scripture, but what I, would I have a hard time wrapping my mind around now that I used to, I used to be what would be called a fundamentalist. Mm-hmm. All right. I was like, fundamentally, I believe everything, literally all of that stuff. That's because that's what I was taught to, to believe. And I believed it. I, but today I ask myself, it's like, okay, I get that. Okay. The Holy spirit did inspire people to write about God, but it's very clear that, some of the writings about God, as you said earlier, and this is what I loved about the Jesus lens, is that it was it was written through their understanding of who God was, but may not have been exactly who God is. Does, did I did that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Now, when people talk about the infallibility of the Bible, I, my friend was asked that question. A friend from mine from Australia said, "Did you believe in the infallibility of the Bible?" And his answer was, "I believe in the infallibility of the God of the Bible." Yes. And I just think that makes a great 
drawing between those two, because everyone who reads Scripture interprets it. And the idea that our interpretations of Scripture are infallible is absurd and bizarre, but religious traditions have been claiming that for two, for 1,800 years. And we have to hold our hands a little bit loosely, I think, when we get into the Scriptures themselves and try to say, well, David prayed that God would dash his enemies' grandchildren against the stones and crush them and give them horrible diseases. Is David praying the will of God there? Well, David is praying. That's his honest prayer. But when Jesus comes and says, love your enemies, do good to those who despitefully use you. Now now we've got a conflict, and, and, and people who who don't regard this conflict, I think are being dishonest. There's a conflict between what David prays and what Jesus asks us to do. And if you look at Scripture as a story, what you're seeing is, well, we're getting David's on. There's a lot of great stuff in the Psalms of David praying stuff that's absolutely true, that's affirmed in Jesus. And there's stuff that David prays where Jesus talks exactly the opposite. And that's why I think when we go back to all Scripture is inspired, what Paul's talking about is the totality of Scripture's conclusion. Not every individual piece is infallible. Because if you do that, then you've got lots of problems with Scripture. Even I, I like to do this with groups now. Let's just read the four gospel accounts of the resurrection. Let's just read those. And now let's just decide, and we do like a little court case, what really happened that morning? And the fact is, in all four of the Gospels, you've got people in different places, angels in different places, different people are are seeing things that other people are not, the, the accounts don't even line up. And as one lawyer said to me, you know what, as a lawyer, that's what you want. People recollect things differently. And if you've got the same people witnessing a crime telling you exactly the same story to the detail, then what you know is they've conspired to make it up. But when the details vary a little bit because of what we remember, now you know you've got a more honest story of what really happened. And I think that's true of the Gospels. The Gospels are not, okay, God inspired to make sure the angels were in the right place in every story and who saw Jesus first is the same in every story. The truth is Jesus rose from the dead. That's the truth. There were probably angels involved in that process. That's true. There were people who were there and who saw him. What order that happened? Not so clear, but is it important? And the reality is, no, it's not important. Do all those details have to line up? And now you're into a different way to interpret Scripture. All the details don't have to line up. What we're looking for is a deeper reality behind the Scriptures, which is God himself. Now, as a writer, you know, I've written He Loves Me, which is my favorite book. I worked on The Shack. I, I've done a number of books. There's not one book I've written that could totally include all that Wayne is and all that Wayne thinks. And I'm just another human. Can you imagine a book, even that God inspires, containing everything there is to know about God, exactly lined out so studying the book is a substitute for knowing him? Right. And I, I just think that's bizarre. There's just no, and the book is a companion to the journey. It's not the journey itself. You know, the the I guess the one thing that that gets me is this idea and it goes back to the the last part of that statement it, you know they they believe that it, you know God intervened that the holy spirit inspired and he intervened and influenced the words i i i totally get all of that um but i agree with all that too it, the the one thing that i have trouble with is that he also in, intervened and influenced the the collation of the bible because who was you know who were these guys that were a part of the Council of Trent, and and what was it? I mean, what did God like show up and say? Okay, you, 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 and you. All right, you guys are the ones who get to determine which books are and which ones aren't, and or which writings are and which ones aren't. And when I think even of this, it's like okay, but. So, so when I, one of the things that when I think about how the the letters of the New Testament are taught as as instructions for living a righteous life, and and these are the apostles, they were they they had more. I I I know this doesn't say this in the scripture, but this is what has just kind of come out of my understanding of what I've been taught it, growing up. That the whole the Holy Spirit was so much more powerful in the lives of the apostles than any human being today 
And so therefore, they're more righteous, they're more connected with God, they had more of an understanding of who he was and everything back then. But then I read in the book of Acts about, okay, it's like, well, Judas is no longer with us. Obviously, I we, we've gathered together and the next thing to do is for us to cast lots and decide who's going to be the next, to, the, to be the 12th, right? Mm-hmm. Well, who is that guy, right? So we don't talk about him anymore. It, 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 you know, that... That isn't necessarily how things played out, right? And and here they were the the it was they were the eleven, and supposedly made all the right decisions. And then you even even later in Acts you have one brother having a public argument against another brother. And it's like, wait a second, I'm pretty sure there's scriptures that talk about how to handle these things. Uh, <laughs> come on. <laughs> and so so when I think about even in the book of Acts, how they decide who how they're going to replace. Um, Judas in in the twelve, if they can't get that right, who's to say somebody uh, fifteen hundred years later, a group of guys who are, I mean, Wayne, how much different could they be from you and I, um, getting together and and determining what writings are and should not be a part of the New Testament. Yeah, and that's not why I embrace the Bible because of the Council of Trent. The Council of Trent, basically, I mean, you say it's it's a th- over a thousand years later from the books becoming somewhat recognized and known through that whole time as which ones were in and which ones were out. And there were books like Jesus making a bird out of clay and breathing on it and it flying off that they were going, okay, if the first miracle was at Canaan, then this book can't be. So, th- I mean, there were people that looking at that. And even Luther didn't accept James. He, he tossed James out of the canon and said, don't read it, it's a worthless book. Uh, so, so, I mean, the, the, the scriptures themselves have been an ongoing conversation among historic believers. The reason I accept them is true is, be, is because I, I read those books and one, inside them, I see an internal consistency. I see from Ezekiel 33 saying that, you know, the bad shepherds, I'm getting rid of them and my own, I will shepherd them myself. Jesus comes saying, I am that good shepherd. I, I see a consistency of theme through all the books that have been preserved for us. I don't see another book outside of those that, oh my goodness, this was, this was close. This should have gotten in. I don't read a book to me that has the same weight or the same internal consistency with what we already have. So when I look at the Bible, just as a, an academic who, who looks at it with some sense of study and passion, I'm going, these books resonate with me. They resonate with the Spirit of God in me, and I accept them because of that. I don't accept them because of the Council of Trent or because of the other councils in the 4th, 5th centuries. I accept them because as the Holy Spirit leads and guides me, I'm finding this book to be that treasure that helps me understand the journey. Like you said, they're not they're not any better than us. The apostles were closer to Jesus. They give us the historical record. This is what he was like. This is what we saw. We're letting you know about it. Yeah. Paul is more like us. Paul didn't interface with Jesus uh, physically while he was here, though he was alive at the same time. His revelation is internal. The Holy Spirit reveals him. I think Paul is that 12th disciple. If the, if the yeah. other boys just held off a minute and let God reveal who he had chosen, I think Paul's going to be that 12th one. But whether that's true or not, even Paul is saying, we know in part and see in part. And so even those of us that go on a more spiritual, relational journey, I'm connected to God, he's revealing stuff in me, that's all wonderful but that's in part. I know people who claim to know God and follow him, and I do believe know him, but they have huge blind spots in what they believe or how they live um, because they ignore what things are in the scripture. They just ignore that reality or reinterpret it in a way that doesn't matter. What I love about reading scripture is every day it checks me. Every day Sarah and I sit down, and, which we're, I've mostly read alone all my life. Now Sarah and I are reading it together every day. Um, we're, we're just recognizing, okay, what in here checks something about the way we think or live or believe? And I love reading less and less of scripture that kind of seems to say, oh boy, I miss, I'm, I'm messing up something here. And more and more relaxed into, I'm learning to live this more really after 62 years of life. I'm learning. I don't still have it all down right. And I, I'm like, Paul, we know in part and see in part. And to me, that's the value of having a book. And it's the value of the conversation of believers about that book 
that help us center in on how the Holy Spirit makes life available to us. I will say this one other thing. When you talk about how it's often interpreted in our local congregations, and mostly what you're taught to do when you're taught to preach is you take a text and you teach what it means and then you get some application points and you tell people this is what you do to apply this. That whole process leaves out the transformation of the Holy Spirit. And that's what's wrong with it. It's just, oh, we now have a book that if we can just interpret right, and then we can make ourselves live around that, we'll all be great Christians. And the fact is, you can't be a Christian without Christ. You can't, without Jesus living in us, changing us, the book is just going to show us, uh, uh, have this disappointed hope of setting out a city on a hill we can never reach. Yeah. With him in us then it sets before me, this is what one lady said to me when I was talking about this, this is probably 20 years ago back in Massachusetts, and she said, you mean, Wayne, when I read the Bible every day, instead of looking at all the ways I fall short of God, I could actually look at this, and when I see what I don't live up to, I can go, hey, this is what he's producing in me. And to me, that's the healthiest way to read the book. It's not, oh, this is what I should do now. It's, oh my goodness, Jesus produced this in me. Because I don't live in that reality yet, and I want to. Yeah, I I, I I like what you're saying there, and and it 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 fits with what's in my spirit on on the matter. Because who can't be thrilled with Paul saying, "Until you know, we're we're laboring until Christ takes shape in you," or Jesus saying, "Remain in me, and I'll remain in you." I mean, who doesn't read those passages of Scripture, and our heart is drawn into that greater space yeah. that makes God known in us. What do you think about, and you, you, you mentioned, you know, the promise boxes or whatever before, and, and I remember these things called the promise books, where basically it's, it, it's a leather-bound book that is a, it looks like a little tiny miniature version of a Bible, and yeah. it, you know, sometimes leather-bound, and, and it has just selected scriptures for different promises of the day, and even today, I, I was listening to a podcast of a dear friend of mine, and, and it, you know, he'll pull out Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. For I know the plans that I has have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you, but to give you a future and a hope. And it and and every time it's like so don't worry because whatever situation, God has a plan for you to prosper through this. And I'm like, Yeah, I used to look at the scripture and and do those things as well, but I don't know that that's how I should be applying Jeremiah twenty nine eleven? Yeah, I, I those things make my yuck meter quiver a little. It just begin to go. Okay, now we're going to read through Scripture. We're going to find a phrase, take it out of context, and say, "Well, the, God wants this for my life." Now, does God have a way of escape for all of us in any situation where He invites us to prosper in the fullness of who He is? Yeah. But as most people will read that, most people are thinking, I can't pay my house payment. This God's got to bring money. I got to win the lottery. We think of prosperity in material terms. I, I, what I love, Sarah and I are just reading through 2 Corinthians right now. And the first five, six chapters have all been about what's unseen doesn't count. Excuse me, what is seen doesn't count and doesn't last. What is unseen is eternal and what's valuable. And when, now when you think of prosperity in that context, you think about God's provision in that context, now some of those scriptures can become much more real. But I, I'm reticent to take just scriptures of promise made to Israel in a certain thing and put it out there and say, we can all claim that today for what's going on in life. God wants a more relational journey than that. God yeah. wants us waking up saying, Holy Spirit, what are you doing in me today? And where are you leading me? Not just picking and choosing promises and trying to get him to do them for us. I think that's a sad way to go. Yeah, and and, and for me, that's that's how I had been trained to go to the Bible. And Yeah, you know, it's, it's interesting. The promises or the rules. It's one of those two things. Promises to make us feel better or the rules to make us feel bad. But either one of them don't work that way. And so they leave people disappointed and disillusioned with Scripture. Yeah, and, and which is where I had been for the last five years. And and I, I, I sense, you know, because I do have some dear friends. I, I hear you in, in, in talking in, in the God Journey podcast. I hear you talking about Scripture. You recently had even somebody come on and talk about theology and how uh, you know, some great conversation there and how that, that still applies through that, you know, through the re- living relationally, having good yep. doctrine. And, yep. and, and so I'm like, yeah, I, it, but I had these thoughts. It's like, man, it, 
the Bible, it was basically God took a human being's hand and took away all of that man's will and took over his physical fingers and the pen and wrote down these words. And that's exactly how it is. No, I just don't think that. And No, it didn't happen that way. And, I'm sure. And, and, and I know nobody's ever told me that, but that's right. just the way that it seems like so many people have been trying to say that's what the Bible is. I was taught that, actually, overtly, that God dictated these scriptures through these men. Mo- Moses wrote exactly what God wanted, and David wrote this, and it took all the humanity out of it, and it took all the the, the reality out of it, and I think, I think ruins it. Now we're following a book instead of a father, and that's always going to have bad consequences. Well, my thing is that, okay, when did the first quote-unquote modern Bible that we have now, we, we just talked about it. it, was, you know, just over 300 years after Christ, and so for the first 300 years, th- there weren't anyone who had the Bible that we have today. And yet they lived lives of faith. They lived lives of relationship with the Father. They lived lives devoted to Christ. Yep. And before the printing press, even though they're, you know, 1500, they may be, you know, the the official Bible that is sanctioned by the Catholic Church. But the reality is, is that that Bible wasn't in the hands of believers around the world who read it every single day and meditated on scripture and and that was something that was a, supposed to be a part of their daily routine to maintain a healthy relationship with the father yeah it's it's kind of crazy to assume that that's that's the way we live it instead of through the life of the spirit being revealed in us and the book comes alongside to inform what i love about the scripture when you when you read through the new testament you see how much the new testament is quoting the old paul's making an appeal to recognize who jesus is from the old testament when Jesus goes to Emmaus with those guys, he goes through the Old Testament to show them every way that he was revealed. Yeah. That's the thing we've missed. We've missed the Jesus revelation in the scriptures and instead have made the scriptures our Jesus, our Savior. And if we believe the right things and do the right things, then we're going to be okay. And so we have a relationship. I'd add a fourth to what your friend suggested. We have a relationship with a book. Yeah. Instead of relationship with Jesus himself. And that's what we're offered. The scriptures inform us on that. They don't replace it. And and uh, I, I think that's where so many people have just allowed the scriptures to be what Jesus wants to be to them. And they miss out on what this life really can be. Well, this conversation really helps open up, you know, some feelings. Because one, one of the concerns I had is like, man, it... In, in in my prior life, my relationship with God oftentimes felt, you know, the it's uh, it's um, health, if you will. The health of my relationship with God was sometimes determined upon how much was I diving in and in love with the scriptures. And then, you know, I, I, I'm living this life of li- of being loved by the Father. I'm experiencing so much of what I've read in the scriptures as as being the spirit-driven life, and yet I haven't really spent much time in the scriptures. And the question is, should I feel a little bit more guilty about that than I do? <laughs> and and I I kind of feel and 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 this is the interesting thing, Wayne, is is I'm feeling drawn to the scriptures. And and, and I'm feeling drawn not from guilt. Yep. Uh, but I'm feeling drawn by the Spirit to the Scriptures. I, I really believe it's the Holy Spirit who has been. I mean, the the email that I sent to you that those words have been on my mind for at least six to nine months. And then, wow. and 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 basically all, all the all the questions that I brought up here today. These, my wife and I, Stephanie and I, we've been talking about these kinds of things and stuff like that. And I'm like, you know, I should I should probably get Wayne and, and just have a conversation with him and see what his thoughts are because, you know, I, I know he has these conversations with people. So, and, and so I sent you the email. I but I really do feel I sense the Holy Spirit calling me back to studying the scriptures, but not but but being careful not to go back to them the way that I did in the past. 
Yeah, and to me, that's the fruit of why, why I say to people, look, if, if this is your obligation, you feel guilty if you don't, and when you read the Bible, you're just weighted down with things you're supposed to do that you fall short of, stop reading it for a while. Uh, and the reason I say that is because as long as the scriptures are an obligation, they, they won't take on the life that they're supposed to have. The, the scriptures are a treasure. And when, when it's a treasure that we're going to go unlock with the Holy Spirit, and that's our attitude coming at it, it's going to be a very different reading than, oh, crud, I should. I'm going to feel bad if I don't. So now I'm reading scripture, not as the treasure it is, but as the rule book it's been twisted to be. And that's why it's fruitless to do that. That's why I encourage people, lay down for a while. I'm convinced the Holy Spirit will always invite us back. It's such a great tool. It needs to be at all of our disposal, but only when it's a treasure and not when it's a have to. Yeah. Well, that's the that's the cool thing is I I you know, I don't I don't know that when you said those words that it's like well, I didn't know he'd take five years away from it, but yeah, uh, but uh, I have and and I and I do I I sense that calling back and that's great and I I just you know I just wanted to get some of those maybe doubts about certain things mm-hmm. that that you know the um just just being what was the word i said before i can't remember but uh anyway yeah i yeah just had some uh cynical i was a little bit more cynical yep. about about just accepting that's the other thing i just i find that in living relationally i i find myself so uh, maybe not cynical, but critical, uh, critiquing what I'm taking in as information rather than just accepting it because I really like the person who I'm listening to yep. or reading or whatever the case may be. I mean, even with you, Wayne, I, I, and I, I probably in the earlier times when I found you, I, I would probably just like anything Wayne says or writes, I'm just going to, wow, that's great. But even today, I find myself just like, you know, hmm, Wayne said something. Let me think about that, you know, and, and and it's just become a little bit more of a routine for me to to just be more critical. I, I think cynical is the wrong word. But yeah, critical is be- a yeah, critical is a great word. We we all need to be taking in stuff because I, I, I don't see perfectly when we're doing an interview like this. I'm telling you as best I see it today, but I don't know I'm going to see it the same way two, four, or five years from now. So I'm I'm still on a process of letting God shape me. So I want everybody to interpret what they hear inside, not just what they like or don't like, but what seems to be life. And that's the spirit and what seems to be death and that's not and learn to live as God re- reveals to us what his light is. And so I love that you're doing that. It's great. Awesome. Well, I just pulled it up here just to confirm the URL is thejesuslens.com. And one of the things that I believe that I'll be doing is I will uh, go and find the audio of all of that. Once again, I will probably listen through to it. And I'm actually looking forward to jumping back into the scriptures, the Bible, and Good. and looking forward to uh, to hearing the Holy Spirit speak into my life through that inspiration. That's awesome. I love it, Cliff. Wayne, I appreciate you, my friend, and all that you do. Is there anything else that you feel led to share before I, I hit the stop button on the recorder here? <laughs> no, I think we've covered it pretty broadly. Awesome. Thank you, my friend. <laughs> Thank you. Bless you, Cliff. 